This is a CBC Podcast. Most of what we know about our prison system in Canada comes through numbers, statistics on things like offenses and sentences. We know that Black, Indigenous, and other people of color are vastly overrepresented. This is especially true for Indigenous people. Though they make up less than 5% of the country's population, they make up about 30% of the individuals behind bars. It's a pattern that has been linked to colonization, the residential school system, systemic discrimination. But one thing that many of the inmates share, no matter their background, is the fact that they are parents. Researchers believe that more than half of the men in prison are fathers. Still, little attention has been given to what that means for both the dads on the inside and their kids on the outside. I'm AC Rowe, and this is The Doc Project. Today, you are going to meet two men. They're both in prison, they're both proud fathers, and they're both participants in something called the Dad Hero Course. It's a unique parenting program designed to support families on both sides of the bars. A quick note, when Doc Project contributor Brandy Wykley reached out to the people behind Dad Hero, hoping to tell this story, instructors put forward a list of participants they thought might be willing to be interviewed. Correctional Services of Canada then vetted those requests. These are the two dads who wanted to speak. Producer Brandy Wykley will take it from here. For a few brief years, Gerard Saddleback believed he'd finally gotten himself on the right track. 2011, 12, and 13, I managed to stay out of jail. My first child was just born and my mother and my all my siblings lived in Medicine Hat. They moved off to reserve. And that's where I found my job. And I, for the first time, this was like the first time I actually had in my own apartment and stuff like that. So it's just me, my partner, and our first child, right? So it was just the first time experience being independent and having a little family, right? It seemed like a welcome new beginning. But on this day, Gerard is talking to me from behind bars. So things didn't go as planned. Hi, my name is Gerard Saddleback. I am uh, Aboriginal from Muskegee's Samson Cree Nation. Samson Cree Nation is just a little south of Edmonton, Alberta. Gerard's the eldest of seven kids. He tells me he first started selling drugs when he was in elementary school and that he did it to help put food on the table. Then he dropped out in grade 7, was charged, and went to the Edmonton Young Offender Center for the first time when he was just 13. But in Medicine Hat, he'd put some distance between himself and the people he ran with back then. He was learning to pour and finish concrete and earning a regular wage. But when his boss approached him to say that their next big contracts would be in Fort McMurray, Gerard had a decision to make. My superintendent, he asked me if if I was willing to relocate. That meant being somewhere closer to Fort Mac, where the oil and gas industry was supplying most of their work. They moved in with his partner's mother and adult siblings in Edmonton. Only he and his mother-in-law had jobs. What I was making was just only making ends meet, right? With barely enough money to get by, Gerard knew only one other way to get more cash. I started working at Fort McMurray. I got a hold of one friend, and then I was grabbing 
some drugs off him. And then, so I was making money selling drugs to all my coworkers. And so that was kind of like how that started. And then I, I wasn't going to work and then I just quit. And then now my, all my focus is, is just trying to get rid of this stuff, you know? And that didn't work out too well. You know, it didn't work out too well. I'm actually like I almost got killed. What happened, Gerard says, is he fell behind on payments to someone higher on the drug dealing food chain. He was charged and convicted for robbery with a firearm. He's currently finishing a seven year sentence. And I'm almost out. Because of the pandemic, I'm only able to speak to him over video conferencing. He's a muscular guy with a wide smile and a ball cap pulled over hair he wears long at the back. He's sitting in the office of a parole officer. Yeah, I got, I got two uh, beautiful, healthy little boys, you know, that I'm grateful for. Unfortunately, you know, I, uh, I missed the Christmas for them. And I missed my youngest's birthday in December last year. And knowing that I... Uh, let them down for Christmas and stuff like that because we were already talking about what they wanted for Christmas and things like that. And, you know, I I betrayed them. You see, Gerard had been out on parole in BC. There he was working in construction again, making money and FaceTiming his sons regularly. But then Gerard violated the conditions of his parole, something he now calls a bad decision. He landed back in prison and says he couldn't bring himself to contact his boys. It was just a big feeling of, uh, of, of shame, you know. It was just that feeling even before his birthday. It was like, well, I have nothing to give him, you know. But really, I should have just thought about how they were feeling. It's estimated that more than half of the men in Canadian prisons and jails are fathers. But over the years, advocates say very little has been done to help them with their parenting. And they believe that's a missed opportunity. There's a lot of men here that have kids, but do not know how to be fathers. This is Kwaku Frimpong. He's another prisoner who's also a dad. I'm talking to him over a poor quality video link. He's in an echoey prison conference room, so our sound here isn't great. Nobody's teaching them. Nobody's taking up their time to to show them how you go about that. Nobody's thinking about the man. Nobody's thinking about the dads. He's been in a federal institution since he was 23 years old. He's 38 now. He's married and has a toddler, a son, who was conceived during his sentence on a private family visit, sometimes called PFVs or trailer visits. Kwaku says that he and his wife wrestled for a long time with whether it was a good idea to have a child, given that he's in prison. About two and a half years ago, we decided that we're not getting any younger and we have a lot of support with both families. So we, we, we decided to start family, even though it's, it's hard. Kwaku says that after immigrating from Ghana in 1996 with his father, stepmother and siblings, his parents had their hands full just working to get by. My parents were really active with us at home. My father works from basically 2.30 to the next morning at 6 o'clock. So I never really got to see my father that much. 
He didn't want to work long hours driving a cab like his dad. Instead, he modeled himself after the only people around his Toronto neighborhood who drove nice cars and had nice shoes. People living the street life, he says, selling drugs. The little glitter that they had on, I thought it was something. Then in 2007, he and another guy hatched a plan to rob someone using the pretense of a drug deal. During the robbery, he shot and killed both the victim of the holdup and his own accomplice with one bullet. Kwaku was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and given a life sentence with no eligibility for parole for 25 years. He knows the severity of his crime, so he understands why many people won't care about him as a dad. But he says they should. A lot of times I feel like when you're convicted of um, a murder or any sort of crime that somebody perceives it as something crazy, that just lock him up and throw away the key, right? But... We have loved ones out there, the same person that you want him to lock up and throw keys, have influence over a lot of people out there. You know what I'm saying? So wouldn't you want that person that's in prison to have some type of resources to, to, to improve themselves, to become better people? Some of those resources have recently come Kwaku's way. Both he and Gerard are graduates of a parenting program called Dad Hero, it's designed to help incarcerated fathers to strengthen ties to their kids, making the most of their connection despite the walls between them. When you see someone who's arrested on TV or you hear about it on the news, not many people's minds go to the fact that there's a partner or a mom and dad or children who are left behind. My name is Louise Leonardi, and I'm the executive director of Canadian Families and Corrections Network. That's a nonprofit that helps families who are affected by incarceration. And it's the organization behind the Dad Hero course that, so far, has been taken by 385 dads from a diverse range of cultural backgrounds. The research actually shows that if we help the person who's inside, then it's better for that person, of course. It's better for the family and the children if it's a positive situation. And because the research says that they're less likely to recidivate or reoffend, it's better for you and me and everyone else in terms of public safety. So everyone wins if we can support these people and help them change. As it turns out, there's no formal process for gathering information about family status when people enter Canadian jails and prisons. But Louise says her organization and others have estimated that at least 450,000 Canadian children have a parent who is incarcerated. Children are actually two to four times more likely to follow their parents' footsteps into crime. They're often very, very lonely and they just miss the parent who's been incarcerated. There's a great deal of shame around the fact that your parents inside, they might be bullied and teased at school. So yes, they are definitely the hidden victims of the crime. My dad has been in prison. He was released when I was 13 or 14. And at that time, there was a decade that he spent and I just visited him in prison. I'm not even sure I got to experience what being a child really was. My name is Dana Mainprize. Growing up, it was just me and my sister. The only memories we really have, maybe me more so my sister, it's just constant activity that involves police visiting prisons, 
getting updates about your dad, collect calls, but at the same time not being able to speak with him on special days. One particular police raid is still crystal clear in her memory. We lived in a high-rise, and I was coming home from school with my mom, and we got off the elevator, and these detectives just flashed their badge right in front of our faces and demanded entry into the home. And we went in. My mom was cooperative. My dad was there sleeping at the time. My sister was little, and she wanted to play with her Barbie truck, for example. They told us to sit on the couch, don't move. And then they took away my dad. He was, like, stark naked. I feel like they could have maybe handled it a little different, asked us to be removed from the, the condo. They just didn't care. And so those are the things that, as young as we were, we'll remember because they made it so traumatizing. Her dad served 10 years for robbery and assault with a weapon. Preparing to visit him meant going through careful rituals like cleaning their identification and wrapping them in tinfoil. Her mother had begun using drugs, and any tiny trace of narcotics on something like a driver's license, and the whole visit would be off. None of that mattered to me. I was excited to do that, as crazy as that sounds, because that meant I got to see my dad and hug him. And we just talked about everything. School, it's like you have to cram everything that you want to say to him in one hour. That sucked. But those small one-hour visits meant, like, the world to me. Those are happy hours. That's the only happy hours I can tell you about. So many, many of the fathers come from a place of, of um, violence or neglect or um, sort of behaviors that are not necessarily going to nurture and foster them. Marg Holland is with the Dad Hero Program. She's one of many instructors across the country and from a range of backgrounds, who provide dads with information on the child development stages they may have missed by being in prison, tips for improving their communication skills, advice for making the most of their visits, and for reintegrating with the family once they're out. Mark helped design the program, drawing on two decades of experience working with incarcerated parents and their families. I have to say that many of the dads say to me, um, I'm here because I want to be a dad and I didn't have a dad. I want the experience, my children to experience a dad and what it is to have a dad. Growing up on a reserve, the legacy of residential schools was all around Gerard. His grandparents were survivors, and many of his relatives were struggling with addiction. I shouldn't continue to blame my father, but that's what I do right now. I blame my father for the way everything turned out. Drugs were around actually one of the reasons why I chose to to join a gang when I did at the time was because, you know, I felt like I could protect my mom. And, you know, looking in your fridge, not seeing there's, you know what I mean, barely any food. So it's like, okay, I t- told my mom, I'm like, hey, I got some money here. Go buy some food. Yeah, it was hard. It was hard. Gerard hasn't seen his 8-year-old and 12-year-old sons in nearly seven years. He went many months without calling his children after violating his parole and returning to prison. He credits the Dad Hero course for encouraging him to reconnect. It helped me it helped me to reflect on, you know, like my values, what I should think about as being a father and how to try to communicate with my kids. And I built up the courage to 
to get back in touch with him, and that's what I did. He was afraid to have those conversations, especially with his oldest son, but he knew having them was important. I was scared to talk to my oldest because, you know, what he's, uh, he's smart enough, and the questions that he asks me are pretty... <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, and I try to, I just try to answer the best way that I could with not getting into too much detail with him, you know? Gerard knows there's a lot of stigma around having a parent who's in prison, and he doesn't want his son to feel burdened by keeping it a secret. I just I told my son, I was like, if anybody ever asks, you know, where I am, and if you feel like you want to talk about it to them, do it. But if you don't, don't. It was embarrassing. And that just led to people asking me where my parents are. Where's your dad? He's never around. He, you never see him. He doesn't drop you off. He doesn't live with you. Where is he? You can only hide it for so long, and then you have to tell them exactly where he is because you run out of stories to tell. That just creates another problem because not everybody's accepting. If they go home and tell their parents, m- most of the kids were not allowed to hang around with us. Dana says she and her sister knew their family wasn't like other people's. When they go to their babysitter's house, they'd ask to sit at the dining table so that they could say, pass the gravy, like the families they saw on TV. And there were others, too, who provided some of the normalcy they craved. There was one family that quickly like accepted us, and we became a part of their family. What they did for me was something I could never repay them for. There was also a Toronto school teacher. She made sure that we didn't miss out on anything. She knew what was happening at home. And she took it upon herself to buy hot lunches. She bought us Christmas gifts. She was an amazing person. Kwaku says he's already glimpsed the difficulties his own son will face because of his incarceration. You know, my kid went to daycare the other day. And they're asking, it was a family day, right? So I think the kid had to bring like a family picture. You know, I never thought about this before. He believes prisons could make a big difference in kids' lives with simple things, like arranging for family portraits on visiting days. During the 10 weeks of his Dad Hero course, Kwaku would take the pamphlets he got from the program and go through the content with his wife on the phone. Sometimes that meant posing questions around issues they might encounter when their child is older. It was helpful because we got to see that our parenting styles were different, but we're able to communicate and get it right. On the day of our interview, Kwaku has just wrapped a weekend trailer visit with his family, playing soccer, baking banana bread, and watching Paw Patrol with his son. Meanwhile, Gerard Saddleback says he's glad he picked up the phone to call his boys. He was relieved at his oldest son's reaction. It went good. He was understanding. Just let him know that I'm sincerely sorry for, for what they're going through, you know? Not, not having a father right now. And I just, I told him, I was like, well, at least I know now that you're not mad at daddy. So it's like, now I'll continue to keep in touch with you and I'll try my best for you and your little brother, you know? Gerard is disappointed that he hasn't had any in-person visits with his sons or even a video call. For that, their mother would have to agree to be on his official list of visitors, but not every partner or co-parent wants to maintain ties. 
I think if my dad had um, somebody mentoring him on how to be a better parent, then he might have made a stronger bond and connection with me from inside and prior to his release that could have built a relationship to be more stable. Dana is a parent now herself. Mother of six, five boys, and one little lady here, three months old, and she's a little under the weather today. Dana met the father of her own children when she was just 16. He's also been in trouble with the law and incarcerated for short periods of time. I didn't see anything wrong with it because I just grew up around it. And, yeah, but then, like, he just became the same person my dad was, so I just fell into that cycle again. To keep that cycle from continuing with her own children, Dana's older kids attend after-school programs run by another nonprofit, KIPP Canada. KIPP stands for Kids of Incarcerated Parents. It was founded by a father-daughter pair, Jessica and Derek Reed. Derek is a savior, not to just my kids, to so many. There's a, a bus full of kids that he picks up. He drove them there to see the incarcerated individuals so that they did not break the bond. So many kids and families face financial barriers and they're not mobile. They're not able to even buy a ticket to go there or drive. So the fact that he takes the time to go there, um, it's admirable, actually. Yes, we, we have made mistakes. I never ask people for forgiveness because I don't even feel like I'm, I'm entitled that right. You know, but just see my actions. See if, if what I'm doing is showing that I'm actually making an effort to try to change my life, right? For Kwaku, that has meant starting a mentoring program for young men in prison. He wants them to avoid following a path like his own. And he recently started taking a psychology course and hopes to work with youth when he's eventually paroled. There's a lot of men here that are trying to be good men, trying to be good fathers, trying to come home to their kids and be active in their lives. There's a lot of people that I know. Every day they try. Every day. December 17th, 1998, he knocked on our door. It was a complete surprise for us. It was like one of the happiest days. He came in his outdated fur coat and fur hat, and I just stood at the door and my eyes wide, and I just couldn't believe it. And I hugged him so hard. For a while, things improved. Dana's dad got financial help from his mother so he could buy a house in a better part of town where the girls had their own rooms, where their friends could visit, and the fridge was always full. We could go to the grocery store and buy whatever we want. That's stuff that we didn't experience before. About six years on, though, her dad got into an altercation that threatened to send him back to prison on assault charges. That was intense. That scared me because with his lengthy criminal record, I thought for sure I was just going to lose him again. I'll never see him again. But I wrote a letter to the judge. I asked Dana what she wrote in that letter. That they took my dad away and he was gone my whole life and I didn't know what it was like to have a father home, that I didn't know what it was like to feel loved, that I didn't experience what a normal child should be able to experience and that I begged him not to take my dad away again. And the judge read it. 
asked me to stand up in court, and then he said he could never take my dad away again based on my letter, and he only got a $500 fine. And my dad caught a break for once in his life, I suppose, and I think what nobody will realize is that I caught the biggest break, was I didn't lose my dad again. I think that was the last time he got in trouble ever again. Might have scared him a little bit. The earliest Kwaku will be eligible for day parole is in 2029, when his son will be around nine years old. He's already preparing for that day. I pray and look forward to that day every day. But at the same time, I know that I have to equip myself with tools, proper tools for me to be there for him. So that's what I'm doing right now every single day. So eventually when I'm out there, me, my wife, and my son, we start from there. Gerard says his plan is to steer clear of anything that could get him off track when he is next eligible for parole. Till this very moment, I still carry a lot of sadness, maybe even some hate. I don't even know, to be honest with you. I hate that they didn't see what I needed, but I love them because they're my parents. If you knew me, like, in the community, that's all I do is want to help everybody. I want to help kids that don't have parents that are there for them. I just want them to know that they're not alone and that somebody cares for them and believes in them. Because every time there's a birthday, I will celebrate it at my house. I will cook for them because I just want them to know that special days don't get forgotten. Dana's goal now is to work for an organization like KIPP Canada, so she can help other families affected by incarceration. It would mean that everything that I went through wasn't solely for my pain, but to help somebody else. As long as I can communicate with them and just tell them that I love them and that I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this work, and that, that's the last thing that I told my son. I was like, when I'm done, that's when, you know, things will, will change for, for us seeing each other all the time. That story was produced by Brandy Wykley and Joan Weber. It was made through the CBC Doc Mentorship Program. And a note, Gerard Saddleback has recently been released from prison. The Doc Project is produced by Joan Weber, Tanera McLean, and to me. Althea Manassan is our digital producer. Our interim senior producer is Allison Cook. I'm Macy Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.